Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. go together in in pastor's prayer as I lead us in prayer. If you would pray silently as I pray out loud and we come before the Father. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to declare your worth as our object of admiration. You are holy and righteous and all fallen short of your own glory. In our sin, we cannot measure up to your standards. We have failed in every way to uphold the moral law. In our actions, attitudes, and nature, we are fallen and guilty of rebellion. Yet your holy character demands justice, and justice demands the high penalty of death. Yet in your rich mercy, you have made us alive through Christ, in order that we might find salvation and be made right with you. You sent your son Jesus to provide what you required, perfection. In our place, he took upon himself our sin, our rebellion, our guilt, and our shame. In his place, you have given us his righteousness, his good works, and his obedience. We do not deserve this wonderful grace, yet it was done. Father, this grace should compel us to share this good news, that you are reconciling man with God. And this free gift of grace is for all who call upon the name of Christ. Let our hearts not be hardened to those who need this precious gift this morning. But fill our hearts with compassion, stir our hearts to action, and let us fulfill the great commission with the boldness and zeal that Christ has shown us. We pray this in the name of Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 We're going to be finishing up our third part of our message of the pursuit In this case, the pursuit of preeminence, as we look at the case of the bitter brother, Luke 15, we're going to be looking again at the third part of what's known as the parable of the prodigal son. And just again, to bring your attention for those that may not have been here, is that we've been trying to answer the question that Jesus has been talking to with the Pharisees. In Luke chapter 15, in the first two verses, we find that Jesus is being criticized for befriending the lost. And you can tell by the songs that we've been singing, great spiritual truth, is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. It's the tax collectors, it's the prostitutes, it's those that come and seek Jesus is the ones that find Him. Those that are self-righteous and who stand on their own are the ones who wind up being condemned. But He's being criticized for befriending the lost. We find Jesus in Luke chapter 15 in the beginning of the chapter is sitting down and as his custom is, he's eating and he's drinking and he's enjoying some time with some people getting to know them. But the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. He was that type of person. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, were grumbling among themselves saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. To them that was a problem. These religious leaders had very hardened hearts towards people that were unlike them. To answer his critics, Jesus shares these three parables to demonstrate God's desire to reconcile with sinners. 
Remember, the Apostle Paul had told us that in Christ, God has been reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins, their trespasses, their rebellion against them. And that's what we've been understanding is that's still our message today. And it's our ministry. These parables show how God goes to great lengths to reconcile a sinner to himself and that he actively searches and finds and cares for the lost. Again, the key to understanding parables is to remember that they are simple stories with a single point. They consist of spiritual truths found in ordinary stories. They were usually illustrations taken from everyday life. They were a way of telling a story that calls for response. And this is probably the most important thing, is parables are calling for a response on the part of the hearers, in this case, the Pharisees. And the key to understanding them lies in discovering the original audience to whom they were spoken. So for you and I, when we read Scripture, we almost got to transport ourselves back 2,000 years and get ourselves into the skin of those to whom Jesus is speaking. And today, it's sad to say, as in every generation, it's not too hard to put ourselves in the skin of a Pharisee. For many of us, walk and talk and act like Pharisees. We dress in the same clothing. We listen to the same things. In this case, the hearers were the religious leaders who had hardened their hearts against people. To them, people really didn't matter. What Jesus is showing is that He's a friend of sinners. And I've been sharing with you this, we need to be a church that is open to people from all walks of life. We may have people that come in here from very different backgrounds. Maybe some that are, are, are ones in which they're struggling. Ones in which they, 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 they wear the, the trials of life on their face and they bear the scars on their arms and in their body. And then there'll be some that'll come in also self-righteous and smug. We accept those too. We need to be a church that accepts people from every walk of life, from our own difficulties, because that's what Jesus did. But as we said here, we look at the Pharisees, and as Jesus has been going through this parable of the three son, or the, the parable of the prodigal son, is they've been shocked at what's been going on. We have a younger son who says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me the money that I'm going to get when you die and give it to me now. The son does say that. His desire is to go and just live his life the way he wants. He wants no input. His His dad is better off being dead to him. He desires no relationship. He just wants what he can get from his father. His father gives it to him. Just, just like his character is, he takes off, leaves the country, sells all that he has, takes the money on a fire sale, goes off and says, lives a lavish lifestyle, spinning in all sorts of things that just feed his flesh, and eventually he becomes destitute to the point that he has no more money and providence and personal choices lead him because of a famine to find himself feeding pigs, which to a Jew would have been very, very shocking and very, very degrading. And memory of the Pharisees, they were saying, why did this father give to him? This son deserves death. And by law, that would be the case. The case of a rebellious, disobedient child was to be stoned. The father was in every right to pick up a stone and kill his son, but yet he didn't. 
And then the son, as we saw last week, came to his senses, realizes what he did was wrong, his guilt and shame overwhelms him, and realizes he must humble himself, confess his sin before God and for the Father, and says, just take me back as a day laborer. And as we caught the story last week, as he's walking back home, we see his father is already waiting at the end of the road, looking for him. And what's shocking to the Pharisees is that he runs to his son and embraces him. So again, putting ourselves in the skin and in the ears of the Pharisees, they see the shocking reaction of the father who forgives. They're expecting now this son is now going to finally get what he deserves. This father ought to tell him what for. He ought to get on him. He can either make him a day laborer or he ought to say, you know what, you got everything you need, just leave. But the father instead has been looking and waiting for his son, desirous for reconciliation. He expresses intense emotion at the return of his younger son. And we're not talking anger, bitterness, resentment, but love, forgiving, kissing, and running to him and embracing him. And then he restores his younger son and then celebrates his return by giving a grand party for all to be involved. And we saw two spiritual truths. The first one is that the son is an object lesson about true repentance. Even though he denied his father, even though he rebelled against his father, he recognized that he must repent. And then we see that the father is an object lesson about true forgiveness, of one who forgives even when he's been put upon. And that brings us then to the third character in our saga, and that is what I would call the bitter brother. So let's look here at the bitter brother, verses 25 through 32. It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, well, Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound. Verse 28. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And Father, I pray that you open up our hearts. Let us understand this passage for what it truly means. And Father, as we put the mirror of Scripture up, I pray that you would show our true heart and our true condition. And when we see it, may we understand, Lord, that we should respond to your Holy Spirit in such a way that you call us to. And I pray that your work may be done. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to share with you some observations. First one, as we look at this story, the older son is a very hard worker. We see that he was in the field, and he came and he drew near and he heard music, and he had to ask what was going on. Unlike his younger brother, the older brother is a hard worker. We find him out in the fields doing his part. Like Esau, he was a man of the fields. He would, he would get his fingers dirty and his hands dirty. The fact that he did not know what was going on 
leads us to believe that the father's lands were very extensive and large since he doesn't even know that his brother's returned and his father hadn't sent someone out for him. He was probably some distance away and took some time to finally reach the house. But what's important is this is a young man who worked. Unlike the younger son, he didn't take life and the money for granted. He was willing to work for his inheritance. And we'll see that. He says, I worked hard for you later, as we saw in the scripture there. He's a hard worker. He trusts in that. And that's a good, he's industrious. That's something that we all should be. But number two, we see something change. Because we see that his work is a little bit more than him just doing what he should do. His response to his father's forgiveness with anger. You see that? But he was angry and he refused to go in. He finds out what's going on. And and instead of saying, my brother's home, I I can't believe it. You mean he finally made it back home and instead of going and enjoying the party, he refused to go. Have you ever done that? Those little pity parties that we have? I'm just not going to go in. This is very telling of really what's going on in this young man's heart. See, his response to his brother's return and his father's forgiveness of his younger, son, of younger brother is anger and refusal to join in. His resentment is plain to all, especially as we look at the verbal exchange with his father. Look what he says. Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. He was industrious. He was good. He did everything he was told, everything that was expected of him. But he says, yet you never gave me even a young goat. He gets a fatted calf. You never even give me a young goat that I can go celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, he doesn't even understand the relationship. He says, this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours comes who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf. He responds with self-righteousness. And even bitterness, look at me, look at what I've done, look what I've done for you. And he's bitter because of what he's received. See, he thought he deserved better like many of us. He deserved the praise, the celebration, and the best feast. He had worked hard, he'd not disobeyed and and ruined or uh, lost all of his money like his younger brother did. He felt underappreciated. He's the one that stayed home working out in the fields. His father cannot even give him just a goat just to go celebrate. He's having a pity party. In the older brother's mind, fairness is the main issue, not forgiveness. He's more concerned with fairness. He demands justice. See, he's very much like the Pharisees. He's shocked at how his father is responding to his younger son. Instead of being glad that he's home and that he's safe, he's ready just to, for him to kick him out also and let him get what he deserves. Like the Pharisees, he believes his brother deserves nothing. But it's worth pointing out also that here again, it's the father is the one who initiates reconciliation by going out to see his older son find out why aren't you coming in and he pleads with him come in join with us but yet to no avail which comes to our third point is the father gently points out the error in his older son's attitude he said son you're always with me 
and all that is mine is yours, which was true. Remember, for he gave his, his older son all that would belong to him also. He says, it's fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father responds and says, listen, your attitude is wrong. Your perception of what's going on is wrong. Your anger is wrong. It's misplaced. You see, the bitter brother is so enamored with his own position and his own selfishness that he doesn't see the need of his younger brother and the love of his father. He misses everything that's going on. The father kindly tells them that all he has is still the older brothers and that their relationship is still important with them. But all he can imagine and keep in his mind is what he's not getting. However, they have now received the younger son back and now reconciliation is more important than any perceived slights that he had. The father in verse 32 32 uses the word, it was fitting that we did do that. That means that it's binding, it's, it's necessary, it's proper, it's inevitable. You see, celebration is the in reconciliation is required. Celebration and reconciliation is required. And this is what the Pharisees could not understand. It's not what the older son could not understand. All he could think about was himself. We now come to this third spiritual truth. As I said, the younger son is an object lesson about true repentance. The father is an object lesson about true forgiveness. But what we see in number three is that the older son is an object lesson about self-righteousness and the hardness of heart that comes with those who believe in just themselves and their righteousness. You see, as we come to the end of this parable, We see that the father is joyful. The younger son is grateful. But the older son is angry and bitter. We also see in this parable something that's very interesting. We see open sin and secretive sin. We see open sin and we see secretive sin. Listen to this. The younger son was openly rebellious and selfish. And that's why we see the Pharisees react to this young man. He deserves death. He does not deserve forgiveness. He does not deserve reconciliation. He does not uh, uh, um, deserve um, restoration. His sin was open for all to see. However, the older son's was no better. You see, his sin was bitterness. And it was hiding under the surface. The whole time he was serving his father, Bitterness was rising to the core, biting his tongue, waiting for the time his father would just die and he could have it all. My father, you won't even give me a goat to celebrate. You see, the bitter brother focuses on himself. He makes comparisons. He demands justice and is angry when mercy is given. His sin is just as wrong as the younger's open sin. And let me tell you, that's where many of us find ourselves today. We're very easy to declare justice on those who are in open sin, to judge those in open sin. But what did Jesus say about that? Don't throw stones. Don't throw stones. He without sin cast the first stone. But let me ask you, just take a moment. How many of us have harshly judged others 
when secretly our sin and our hearts are just as hard and just full of it. Many, many times, probably every time that we judge, we're guilty of not only open sin, but also the secret of sin that lies just below the surface, that we work hard at keeping below the surface. See, he's not realizing that repentance yields God's kindness. As the Apostle Paul tells us, that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. And hence, that's why the Father wants to give mercy. Why? Because knowing mercy and kindness will lead us back to God. It will lead him back to the Father. Listen to this. Timothy Keller in his book, The Prodigal God, observes that neither son loved the Father. In this parable, neither son loved the Father for himself, for who the Father is and what the Father has done for him. They both were used in the Father for their own self-centered ends, rather than loving, enjoying, and serving Him for His own sake. One was just open about it, one was just secretive. Very similar to the scripture that was read earlier about the one son who said, yes, I'll go do it, and did it not, did not obey, and the one who said no, but then wound up obeying his father. You see, it's our hearts that condemn us, not our outward works. And you and I must understand that because we work so hard to justify ourselves, to do the good works. And God says, no, your self-righteousness itself is underlying condition. It's a surface sin that hides. You see, we can understand that in this parable that the younger son represents those that have rebelled against a loving God but found reconciliation and repentance. And such, the Bible says, were some of us. Amen? And that's what we need to look at as the world, as those people who need God. And we need to be open to those and share that good news. The Father represents our Heavenly Father who grants forgiveness and reconciliation even when it demands justice, even when we deserve the penalty of death. The older son here represents those that have rebelled against God, the same as the prodigal, but continue to trust in their own self-righteousness to make themselves right before God. As Tim Keller continues, he says, this means, listen to this, this means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from Him either by breaking His rules or by keeping all of them diligently. Let me say that again. You can rebel against God and be alienated Him by either breaking His rules openly or by keeping all of them diligently. It's a shocking message, he writes. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. And was that not God's message to the Pharisees? Time and time again? Let's remember that this parable is told to the Pharisees who have been complaining that Jesus is receiving sinners. To the Pharisees, this is not appropriate and even sinful. Their hearts were hardened to the need of those that they considered beneath them. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke 18. It's not on the screen, but Luke 18, verse 9. He said, He also told this parable, Jesus speaking in parable, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, 
and treated others with contempt. And let me tell you, this goes hand in hand. If you're someone here today that considers yourself righteous, you will treat others with contempt. It just goes hand in hand. Look at verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Very same scenario that Jesus was speaking about earlier. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Again, making judgments. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But, in verse 13, the tax collector, standing afar off, could not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You need to underline that. I tell you, this man went down to his house, justified, made right with God, rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And let me tell you, for those who are living a self-righteous lifestyle, saying, you know what, I am good with myself. The end is not pretty. You say, but look at him, I'm a good person. I don't really do bad things. But again, the Bible tells us that the heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? Scripture tells us there's none that seek after God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Jesus said, to enter heaven you must be perfect, even as my Father is perfect. And all of us fall short of that, the Bible tells us. And the penalty of that is death. Whether we're the prodigal son or whether we're the bitter brother, we're all guilty before Him. The key is, are you going to build up a self-righteous type of work and say that I'm okay with God? For we stand behind, when we stand on our own works, the Bible tells us it'll fail. You see, the older son adopts the position of the Pharisees. John MacArthur writes that the Pharisees' chief error lay in their belief that they did deserve God's favor. He goes to note that Jesus used this parable of the prodigal son to illustrate and unmask the Pharisees' hypocrisy. They are the older son, the bitter, angry brother at the mercy of the father. In this retort of the bitter brother, when he speaks to his father, he, he exposes the sin that was lying just below the surface. You and I do the same when we justify ourselves before an almighty God when we recognize that we have upsurred him from the throne and we put ourselves on the throne. Give you an example. I think many of you know the former mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg. He is an activist for a number of causes. Some of his big causes is gun control. He stands up for abortion, things of that nature. His big one was, remember getting rid of certain sizes of Cokes and sodas and sugary drinks, and he's a billionaire and he uses his money for active causes. That's fine, that is his belief and that's something that he does, but it's more or less what he says. As a result of being an activist for a number of cases, he believes that he is a shoe-in for heaven. According to the New York Times report, he points to his work on gun safety, obesity, and smoking cessation, and he says with a grin, and this is a quote, I am telling you, if there is a God, 
When I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. What do you get there? He's clinging to self-works. He's clinging to his own self-righteousness. He's clinging to his own self-justification. And the scripture tells us that leads to death. And this self-righteousness of his shows in how he views those who do not agree with him on policy and politics. For he degrades them, he judges them, he belittles them. Self-righteousness is always found in harshly judging others. And let me tell you, Christians, we have been guilty of this ourselves. And it should not be so. Amen? We should be the first one to welcome those that are struggling with life, that are struggling with an addiction, that are struggling with problems and pain. We ought to be the ones who embrace them and show them the Father's forgiveness, who are ready to say, here, put an arm around me, let me limp with you and I'll walk with you. And if you're here today, that's what we want to do. But Jesus tells us, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me pray. I pray that Jesus has came to call me. Never ever have to say within yourself, I don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. However, the self-righteous, the Pharisees, they do not love the sinner nor the grace that's freely offered to them. MacArthur continues when he makes the clear, the central and culminating lesson of this parable. And here's where we come to it. What's the point of this parable? You see, Jesus is pointing out the stark contrast between God's own delight in the redemption of sinners and the Pharisees' inflexible hostility Towards those same. Though the younger son is important to the story, his redemption is not the main point. It's misnamed the prodigal son. It's a great object lesson, but that's not the point. And as you look on the screen, you'll see the point. For rather, this parable serves as a mirror for every human heart and conscience that we reflect either God's love for fallen sinners or a human hardness and arrogance that would deny that such hardened sinners could ever know His love. And so as you look into the mirror of this parable, who do you see? Do you see yourself as that selfish son who rebelled against his loving father and gracious father and went and spent all that you had on just your own living, but one day came to your senses and recognized your need for a Savior and found a forgiving father that's ready to embrace you? Or are you here this morning? Are you someone so smug in your own self-righteousness and your own works and says, I don't even need Jesus and I don't need anyone else? Please let it be the former rather than the latter. Turn to Luke chapter 15. I think you may be there. But what we see in this passage of Scripture, the joy of redemption found at the reconciliation of sinners. Look at Luke 15, look at verse 7. And this is the end of each of the three parables that we looked at briefly. The first two we looked at briefly last week. 
He says that this, just as I sow, I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In verse 10, speaking of the lost coin, he says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then finally, verse 32, at the last of the parable, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let me share with you, is that we too need to be a place of celebration. We need to be a place that welcomes those that need God. Remember I shared with you several weeks ago uh, the little video with, um, help me out, Penn Teller. Famous atheist, does not believe in God, but yet he said, how much do you have to hate someone to believe that there is a heaven and hell and not share with them how to get to heaven? That's from an atheist. How much do you have to hate someone? And let me tell you, I believe that there are a lot of self-righteous Christians today that hate others. They're not sharing the gospel. We shared many different reasons why. But I believe the real true reasons is, and I can't remember all three of them as I made them up as I came through Scripture, but it's either that we don't love, we don't feel compassion, we don't care about it, we don't believe God, we don't fear God, or we just hate others. We want to hold it in at ourselves. You see, God knows who is His. God has been given all of His sheep by Christ, uh, to Christ who seeks and saves in John chapter 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given me to them is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So let me tell you, you may be today, you may be that prodigal son, that selfish son, who is hearing the faint cries of the Father. If you are here, start to run. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you made. It doesn't matter how bad your sin was. Let me tell you, you have a father that will run, that will embrace, and that will kiss and bring you into the kingdom. That's the good news. Hear it today. Heed his call. Do not put your hands over your ears and say, not yet, not yet. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to young people as a youth pastor and share with them, why don't you accept Christ today? And time and time he goes, well, I'm not ready yet. Maybe when I get older. I want to continue to live my life the way I want. I don't want to make those decisions. They're the selfish sons still seeking to serve their own ends. Or you get the ones who say, why? Well, I don't need Christ. I'm doing okay. If I go to heaven or if I die, I know I'll go to heaven. Or maybe there is no heaven. Let me share with you that's wrong thinking. For those of us that have been prodigal sons, we now find ourselves in the embrace of a loving Father. Let us join the Father in sharing the good news of reconciliation and celebrating that grand reunion. I can't wait until this is a church in which people are coming to Christ and they're standing up and they're giving us their testimonies of how they once were lost, but they're now found. How they once were blind, but now they see can't wait for those stories. We need to hear those stories. They're powerful testaments to what God has done. Here's an old chorus. It's called Freely, Freely. 
It goes like this, God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. I've been born again in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, I come to you to share His love as He told me to. He goes on to say, all power is given in Jesus' name. In earth, in heaven, in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name, I come to share His power as He told me to. For Jesus said, freely, freely you have received. Freely, freely give. Go in my name. And because you believe, others will know that I live. Would you be willing to share and join in that celebration? For there are people out there that need to hear. If you're here, the prodigal son today, it's time for you to come home. If you're here today trusting in your own selfish work, there's bitterness, there's resentment, you believe God owes you something, I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict your heart and show you that that way leads to bitterness, resentment, and eventually death. Life is found in Christ. Today is a day of salvation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm just going to ask you to take a moment to just to pause, to pray, and to consider. What does God share with you this morning? What way do you need to respond Is it time for you to accept Jesus? To turn from trusting in your dead works and turn and trust in the one who's earned all that you'd ever need? If so, would you do so? Or maybe you're here this morning and you've been struggling with a judging attitude. You've been struggling with a self-righteous. You've been obeying the commands of God, but you've been doing them for your own good to see, see, see how good of a Christian I am. You're struggling and sharing the good news. You believe everyone should live as you live and up to your standards. Not be a Pharisee. Pray and rejoice in those that God is bringing home. Father, we come for you this morning. We thank you for your word. Powerful story. And Father, we find ourselves in the mirror of your word. And I thank you for those that were once selfish but now have been restored. Let us give testimony to that. Give us boldness and courage to share that with others. Lord, let us share that, that you are a God who forgives. Father, if there's any here that is struggling with self-righteousness, if bitterness and resentment is just under the surface, Lord, soften their hearts, that they may see your glorious works. And may they not judge, but they would also give that gift Share the gift that gives life. We praise in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.